You're listening to episode 284 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a human connection coach, speaker, and mental health advocate with an insatiable sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using the power of stories to teach, learn, and grow. It's about allowing for room to grow, and this podcast focuses on three main pillars, human connection, personal growth, and freedom. We cover topics like relationships and cultivating genuine supportive connections with ourselves and others, speaking your truth, shattering personal barriers, radical self-acceptance, and courageously leaning into your skill sets. Whether it's a solo episode or bringing on highly curated guests with incredible stories, experiences, and expertise to share, we're leaning in and taking the entire idea of growth to the next level, all while still covering the uncomfortable topics that many of us like to avoid. There's always more room to grow. Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here, and I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. He is the founder of Long Distance Love Bombs, and he's on a mission to make kindness cool, empathy popular, and compassion commonplace. Sounds like my kind of guy. (laughs) I've been following uh, Jeremy for a couple years now. I just adore him. I love his work. I think that he's amazing. He's just, you can, you can sense his compassion come through in everything that he does. He writes beautifully. He's just an incredible guy. Uh, He specializes in self-help, self-care, self-growth, and self-doubt. Again, right up our alley here in Room to Grow podcast. And Jeremy does everything from sending amazing emails to hosting retreats and workshops, coaching clients. He has a podcast. He writes books, uh, makes spoken word poetry videos, and he even gave a TEDx talk called What If Kindness Was Cool? And there is just several areas that we are diving into in this podcast, including recognizing a healthy relationship when we don't know what that feels like. That's a big one. We have Lots to discuss in that in that area. Uh, moving through pain and what happens when we get too comfortable in pain and allow ourselves to stay stuck in despair because that can actually be a lot easier than than we think. So Jeremy's giving a really, really beautiful uh, example of, of all of that. The radical honesty that's required to repair disconnection with both ourselves and with others in, in relating and how to unpack some of the emotional shit that we bury so deep under the surface. We're also even getting into the importance of rest and how crucial that is to be able to show up as the best possible version of ourselves in every area. And (laughs) I love that Jeremy brought this up. Just because someone is in therapy doesn't mean they're good for you. Or just because someone is a therapist themselves does not mean that they're good for you. So we're getting into all of that along with granting people the space to change and evolve when they make mistakes, when we make mistakes. Um, there's, there's a lot to this one. And Jeremy just has such an incredible way of breaking down uh, tough topics in, in a way that makes it really, really easy and simple to understand and very easy to relate to. So I'm so excited for you to get to meet him. I cannot recommend him enough. Make sure to go check him out over at Long Distance Love Bombs. All of his information will be listed in the show notes, um, his podcast, all the things. So go take a peek, go meet Jeremy, go inter- go get introduced and tune in for the rest of this podcast and make sure to share it. Jeremy, mm. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, I'm stoked to be here too. Thanks for having me. So I have to shout out Traver for introducing us. And so funny, you were just telling me before we jumped on that you guys kind of just, you know, you'll refer people to each other and, and whatnot. And we were like, okay, if, if I fuck this up, you're never speaking to Traver again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Traver's dead to me if this goes wrong, for sure. So he's a lot riding on this interview. So, okay. <laughs> so far, so good, but it's, it's feeling a little, a little sketchy at the moment. Really? <laughs> okay, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about you. So introduce yourself. For anyone who doesn't know you, I feel like some people may know you a little bit better by your Instagram handle, which is uh, long distance love bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, and tell us about you, your work, what excites you, all of the things. Gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. So I am a recovering coral reef scientist turned life coach, podcast host, author, speaker, ranter, Instagrammer, uh, I like to joke that I am a ferocious never-giver-upper. I am an 
anti-quitting word wizard and empathy collecting, compassion cultivating, day making change agent. I write and I speak and I try to make kindness cool and compassion popular. That's my main kind of jam. And uh, I'm curious by nature. I like to learn things. I like to feel things and I'm trying to just make the world a little better than yesterday. What a beautiful introduction. This is why I have people introduce themselves because that is like far better than I even could have done for you. And that was, I feel like everyone needs to have an elevator pitch like that one. That was beautiful. Yeah, that's kind of the gist. Like I have another one that's that like I use when I give talks, that's like a spoken word poem that is a little bit more artsy. Uh, but yeah, that's the gist. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. And I just really resonate. And I've always, I, I've been following you for, for a couple of years, I, I believe at least. And um, I've always really resonated with the whole concept that you have around making kindness cool and really bringing compassion into the conversation so much because that just, that's what I'm all about too. And I, I mean, you did an entire TED talk on making kindness cool. And I just, I love that so much. I think that's, that's really, really powerful to see that ripple effect in the world. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I kind of just see kindness and compassion as a, a root solution to a lot of the root problems of the world. So when you think of things like racism or domestic violence or addiction or you know, abuse, I think that a lack of empathy and compassion and kindness is at the root of much of that, right? If we could start to understand that people are complex and have been traumatized and are doing the best they can, then we can start to not excuse the actions, but perhaps connect with the actual human being rather than the behavior or the outburst, so to speak. Yeah, and just change the world. That's the, that's the fundamental intention, slowly but surely make the world a little bit better than it used to be. That's beautiful. And what do you think is, like, can you think of, um... I mean, this is probably a difficult question to answer because there's so many areas, but can you think of something that comes to mind right away, some sort of situation or something like that, where you would love to see more people show more kindness right now, more compassion? I mean, there's a lot going on in the world, so that's a tough I mean, question to answer maybe, but. Have you ever visited this place called the internet? Uh... <laughs> Or in particular, I might have heard of it. <laughs> in particular, social media um, strikes me as a place to start. Yeah, I mean that. Like I'm being snarky, but yeah, that that immediately jumps out to me. It's you look at the comment section of certain posts or videos or articles, um, or you look at the comments to certain Facebook posts, and they are this swampy mix of passive aggressiveness, bullying, and uh, rude outrage that I don't think we would ever see face-to-face -face in real life. So that's, that's one example to me that I think could use a little bit of a sprinkle, let's call it, of some <laughs> compassion and understanding. And I think that the, the nature of those communication platforms is kind of structured in which uh, stru structured in a way in which polarization and power dynamics play out in a really uh, curt and somewhat ugly or nefarious way. Um, I don't think they lend themselves necessarily towards um, conscious learning or curious understanding um, without significant intention from the user. And so I suppose that's what I'm trying to propose or espouse. It's like, can't we all just bite our tongues for a moment before lashing out at a stranger on the internet in a way that we would never speak to them uh, if they were standing in front of us next to our mom? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to propose a little bit of civility and humility and, and cross-cultural understanding, a little bit of a embrace of empathy because I find that as a lazy human who has made many mistakes and intends unintentionally to make many more, I would prefer a society and a culture that is forgiving of my inadequacies uh, rather than one which punishes me and cancels me and shames me into oblivion for 
inadvertently doing, saying, being, or feeling something that I wasn't intending to. I'm really glad you bring this up because cancel culture is such a hot button topic right now. And there are so mm. many topics, I feel like more than there ever have been that are very hot button issues right now. I think that it actually stops some people from, um, I've certainly had these moments where it, it has stopped me or at least made me pause before I ever even talk about something that really deserves attention. Like, you know, if we're talking, I don't know, just to think of an example, like calling out certain acts of racism or injustices of some kind or something like that, when they're really hot issues where it's an extremely polarized topic, which so much is right now, it's made me think twice about saying anything, even though I'm very much, you know, team human, whatever that, that looks like, because I'm concerned about being canceled, essentially. If, if I say one word wrong and then I get raked over the coals, and I think that's a really big problem because it stops people from speaking out about really important issues that deserve attention too and and need that with more empathy and compassion being brought to the to the table 100 percent. yeah it's as a straight white male who grew up in los angeles and has privilege dripping out of every pore in his body i get that and it's a really tricky in my experience situation to navigate whereby if I speak up, but say the wrong thing, then I might get annihilated. If I don't speak up, then I might get annihilated for not using my privilege. If I say the wrong thing in the wrong way, I might get annihilated. If I do this and do that, you know, I'll get annihilated. And when I say annihilated, I mean, um, potentially have my career taken away, potentially having my reputation damage, potentially becoming famous for all the wrong reasons because of one sentence that I uttered that was inappropriate in a way that I don't understand. But as you say, and at the same time, it's like, I, I would rather use my voice to talk about things that I believe in and be, and learn from that experience rather than not using my voice, sitting on the sidelines, which is the manifestation of privilege, I would argue. Like being able to sit on the sidelines, being able to not speak up, being able to choose my battle, being able to just observe what's happening without feeling a significant personal impact of the injustices that I'm observing, like that's privilege of the highest degree. And so I'm with you, you know, the last several years I've been, I've been learning and leaning into these various topics, such as like the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, the recent um, Israel-Palestinian conflict. And so each of these is an opportunity to learn and to change who I am. And it exposes in many ways, the various knowledge gaps that I have, Yeah, right? It's like, so I kind of take it all as a learning opportunity and just do the best I can say the say the things that I feel comfortable with saying that is like right on the edge or the expansion of of what I am and and who I'm becoming and and continue to just iterate and data collect and try to be better braver stronger more vocal more eloquent less of a jerk the next round yeah yeah and that's really all we can do and you know it's funny I wasn't even planning kind of starting the conversation with this but you and I had talked before we jumped on about uh, a post that you put up a while back that really resonated with me around the mistakes that we make and granting people the space to change and evolve. And, and one example that came to mind that I mentioned to you was, you know, we talk about relationships a lot in this podcast and a lot of times um, I'll speak to women in particular, but this can go both ways who have the concept ingrained in them that if somebody cheats, that they will always cheat whether that's somebody who has cheated in a past relationship, whether that is somebody who has cheated in the current relationship that they are, that they are engaged in right now. And you and I both know people who have, I don't even want to use the word reformed because I don't think that that's the right terminology here, but 
that they have, have grown beyond that and that they have sort of become a different version of themselves. But sometimes they suffer consequences because we, we just peg somebody as like, if you're that thing, you're always going to be that thing. And, and we will all make mistakes. And like you said, if there's no room for forgiveness, I'm not sure where any of us are headed <laughs> because that's a necessary part of being human. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that more about how we can grow and evolve and to grant people that, that space. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about diapers real quick. So <laughs> favorite topic <laughs> right <yeah>. there. <laughs> the, the, the way that I look at it is that I personally used to be a, a toddler. Like I used to poop my pants. <laughs> I used to, that wasn't know, last week. <laughs> no, not last week. It's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah. Uh, I used to put my pants. I used to throw temper tantrums in the store. I used to scream at people. I used to misbehave. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any better, right? I hadn't learned with the appropriate consequence that I cannot act that way. Right. And so if you, if you look at it in that context, like I'm not shaming who I used to be. I'm not saying toddler Jeremy is such an asshole <laughs> and what a jerk and, 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 you know, holding that person down. I'm like, you know, I used to do some stuff that at that time in my life served me. Like behaving in that way got me attention. It got me love, it got me fed, it kept me safe. You know, it protected me, whatever. It serves its purpose. And in the same way as an adult, when I grow up, you know, as a teenager, I did a certain suite of behaviors or responses that were also inappropriate that served me then, but don't serve me now. And so I'm perpetually going through these cycles. I'm hitting these different levels. I'm becoming and expanding and growing. And I'm trying to, throughout that process, shed or unlearn these certain behaviors based on these certain attributes or attitudes that no longer serve me, but once did, right? And so if you look at infidelity as an example or cheating, you know, um, that, that set of actions serves that person in some way until it doesn't, and until they decide that they don't want to do that anymore. And so, yeah, once a cheater, always a, a cheater, yes, uh, asterisk, until that individual understands why they are making those decisions until that individual has fully internalized the ramifications of those decisions until that individual has decided that they no longer want to behave in that manner until they um, are ready to step into a fully integrated honest aligned courageous life um, they will continue to hurt people and they will continue to lie and cheat and, and mislead and all the other things that come with being unfaithful to somebody that you care about. And I believe that people can change in the same way that I have learned to control my bowels. I think I can also <laughs> vouch that you can learn to control your fears. You can learn to understand the underlying reasons for why you're doing certain things and why are you you're behaving in a certain way like powerful questions like why am i the way that i am who am i below these behaviors you know how are these behaviors serving me what do i want in my life like who do i want to be and if you can get clarity on those questions and if you can also understand and appreciate that those answers are not aligned with the current state of affairs in your life, then I believe that you can start taking actions towards improving, enhancing, forgiving, healing, you know, making amends, etc. And so I think, yeah, you're not necessarily always a cheater. Like, like there are examples in life where people used to be terrible human beings, for lack of a more gentle phrase, like they, they did terrible things. And now they are not. Now they're completely different in the same way that I used to be a toddler. And now I'm a grown up with hair coming out of my face. Right? Like I interviewed this dude on my podcast, Elder Jackson, the third. 
and he served, he got convicted of kidnapping and attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He spent several years in solitary confinement, years. While he was in prison, he stabbed another man 30 times while he's in prison. And now he's out and he's running an advocacy group to help um, young people to work through their pain and avoid becoming prisoners. He's, he's a completely different person than he used to be. And so I think if something like that, as an example, there are thousands or millions of examples like that. You know, if we accept that there is one person who has changed, then we must accept that it is possible for each of us to do the same. That's the end. Point. Yeah. 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 That's a great point because it, it, I think that we all know people like that. I can think of many, many examples, <laughs> even people, you know, who um, used to lie a huge amount and, and, and very openly, like they will admit to that. And now mm. they're the most honest people I know. And, and I would trust them with my life. And mm. it, I, I think that, yeah, if, if, if we can find one example, then we're able to make that translate and show what's possible for all of us except that it i think when when we do change a lot of times when we're talking about relationships it often will come up that people want to change their partner and that isn't how it works that that sense of wanting to grow into somebody new you know a new version of yourself i think it really does have to come from within it can certainly be motivated by the consequences of what happens if you don't decide to change and grow. But I, I feel like it still has to ultimately come from within yourself as opposed to somebody trying to force you down a path that you're not prepared to go. Yeah. Yeah. I did an event a couple of years ago in Australia and this woman in the audience asked a question, like raised her hand and asked the question of, how do I get some version of that you hear all the time? How do I get my husband, partner, boyfriend, brother to change, to do the work? How do I get, how do I get my man to read the books, listen to the podcasts, get sober, stop smoking weed, whatever. And my buddy, Mike Campbell, who was hosting said exactly what I was thinking, which is simply you don't, mm -hmm. you can't and you won't. Right? Because what you're trying to do there is to change somebody that doesn't want to change. And in my experience, that doesn't work. Right? Um, and so it's this really difficult place to be when you really love somebody and you can completely see their potential and you know that they're capable of so much more in their life. You can see, you could see it. Like you could touch it, you get glimpses of it, and yet they're not ready to fully go there. It can be really devastating, right? And it's dangerous because if you continue to date a person's potential, if you continue to create this fantasy in your head that they're going to change soon, you might wake up one day and have spent a decade or two decades or your entire life not being present to who you're really dating and rather creating this version of them in your head that's not actually real, right? And so I, I feel for people who are in those places, it's really challenging. Years ago, my mom was an alcoholic and I learned a lot about helplessness in that. Like I could see how great you are when, when you're sober and I could see the potential for that and I can have countless conversations with you and do my best to invite you forward, to love you and invite you forward, to support you, to be there for you, et cetera, and yet have it not work. It was devastating and really difficult and super challenging. It's very, it's very hard to love someone enough that you step back from having them in your life in, in a close capacity. Um, so like the way that I phrase that is love yourself enough that you're okay disappointing other people. And so it's ultimately an act of self-love when you decide to 
distance yourself from somebody who isn't fully living with the integrity, courage, and respect that you desire for yourself. Yeah. And that can be so hard to, to walk away from those types of oh, situations. Yeah. It, it's, it's absolutely devastating, especially if you see from afar that person sort of continue to go down a spiral and mm -hmm. you can feel even more help helpless because you're like, okay, maybe if I was still there, like something would have changed. But I, I think that ultimately when it reaches that point, you know that whether you're there or not, you, you can't save somebody else. No, nobody's coming to save any of us. We, we have to do that for ourselves. Yeah. And also like, we're not in charge of other people's lives. Yeah. And, and we don't actually know better than the universe, how this is playing out. Like who are we to determine what's best for them basically. Right. And so if you zoom out far enough for long enough, the rock bottom might actually be the biggest gift that they will ever receive because it will help them to tap into some sacred treasure that becomes their life purpose. Yeah. And we're trying to interfere with that. And that's not to say that like, it's okay to just bypass the whole process and be like, it's fine. Like they're, they're at rock bottom, but you know, namaste some abundance and uh, <laughs> this is their, their treasure, but we can only do so much for other people. Right. And at some point we've all felt this kind of pull, this inner conflict between trying to do more to help others and trying to do more to help preserve ourselves. And that becomes the choice. Do you choose yourself or do you choose the other person? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all know that when we continue to choose the other person, it ends up eroding trust in ourselves because we, we just continuously betray ourselves over and over again for the sake of somebody else. And then we're going to end up hitting our own rock bottom sooner or later if, if that continues. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other side of it, right? Is abandoning yourself while attempting to save another person. So you're kind of like throwing the life preserver to them while you are going underwater and, and choking. Right. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's hard. This is not like easy stuff in which you can read an article about the three secret sexy sizzling steps towards <laughs> self-sovereignty. Uh, Headlines you will not see in Cosmo. <laughs> yeah. The, the three things you need to know to end codependency. <laughs> like it's doubtful, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a process and it takes time. It's a, it's a painful project that you have to undertake. And you have to commit to it and there'll be setbacks in my experience in which you maybe slide back into old patterns of behavior and routine that you don't necessarily want to be in and then there's the self-judgment that comes with that and the shame and the guilt and then you're trying to figure it out again and oh you're back on track and oh shit I misstepped again and that one's slippery and what is my life right now I don't know what's happening that's my experience with all of that yeah and when you can ground into your own inner heart compass and let it guide you to where you truly know deep down that you need to be, you can start to cultivate a fierce, compassionate acknowledgement of your own inner truth and stay the course for longer and longer without slipping. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when anyone has been in these types of situations, either for a long time, maybe even since childhood or continuous patterns over and over again, it can reach a point where then when we do enter into any kind of healthy relationship, it feels boring. It's, it's too calm. And, and we're often then waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're like, well, what, what's around the corner? Like we're, it, it's that hypervigilance that is born from trauma usually. And we are waiting for something to happen that won't even necessarily ever happen, but then that can make us feel like there's no spark. So how do we handle those, those types of situations when they come up? Yeah, I, I relate to that entirely. When I started dating my current partner, whose name is Kendra Dachi, she's amazing. And we've been together over two years now, two and a half years. When we first started dating, I was bored. And, 
and like also I had no reason whatsoever to end the relationship. I was so confused. And I remember talking to some friends like, yeah, I just think I'm going to, I think I'm going to end it. We'd been dating, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. I'm going to end it. Oh, really? What's going on? They said, I don't know. Like, like it ticked every box. We have great conversations. Our values are aligned. She's adventurous. The attraction is there. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Down the line. And I could not explain this boredom. And, and basically, I ended up continuing the relationship because I had no legitimate reason to end it. I was like, I was imagining having the conversation in which I ended the relationship and not being able to explain why I was ending it. It's like, oh, I'm just kind of bored. Like you're perfect on paper, but I just feel kind of bored. It's like, oh, is there no spark? Like, no, there's definitely a spark. You are stunning and, and I'm wildly attracted to you. Okay, you don't enjoy our conversations? Well, no, those are also really great. And I, we just, <laughs> we talked for three hours last night on Zoom and I never do that. And it felt like five minutes. And so anyway, what I realized after continuing to date her for a couple more weeks and months is that I had confused a healthy relationship with a boring relationship. And what I mean by that is that in this new healthy relationship, there was no passive aggressive comments. There was no games being played. There was no dramatic fights and ecstatic makeups, makeout sex, makeup sex. And there was no roller coaster of intensity and emotion. There was no ripping apart and then coming together with wild passion. It was a calm, healthy, stable dynamic of which I was not supremely accustomed, right? And so it took me a while to understand of like, oh, like this is a healthy relationship. Like my nervous system was, was so confused that it was like looking for triggers and looking for reasons to be activated because that was the normal paradigm. Like I, I was used to instability. And so instability was seen as normal in my nervous system. And so conversely, when I was in a calm, loving, healthy relationship, my nervous system mistook that as unstable because it was new and different and weird. And so I had to kind of learn and I'm still continuing to learn two and a half years later what it means to be in a healthy relationship. So I fully relate to that. And, um, and it's weird. Like, like if you grew up in a dynamic in which fighting and screaming and shouting was completely normal and it just happened every day and you go and visit your, your boyfriend's or your girlfriend's parents' house and they're calmly having an argument, it's going to, it's going to, appear as if it's in Latin or hieroglyphics. It's like, what is this? I have no idea what this is I'm experiencing. This is so weird. And in actual fact, what might be weird is that like your family might be the weird one. Like your ex might be the weird, like you might be the weird one. So like in, in the dynamic with my partner, like I was kind of the weird one. I was like, you, you know, this loving, respectful discourse feels weird to me. Like, why does that feel weird? It's weird that it felt weird, right? <laughs> like it's abnormal that it's abnormal to be in a relationship like that. So I'm kind of rambling about that, but I think it's an important distinction to make for people because so often in this space, it's, it's like you read about red flags and green flags and you read about healthy boundaries versus walls and you read about anxious attachment styles and insecure attachment style, like avoidant and all of the things. And like at a, at a fundamental level, in my experience, it's just about like crafting a new normal and that the healthy things of which you are not entirely familiar can appear at first glance or first experience to be wildly weird and very activating. And like a very boring flat road might feel like a roller coaster. It might feel unstable, like a wild ride. Like, what is, like, I was like triggered. Like, what, what do you mean you're not playing games with me? Like this, 
this you're is actually, got, you're actually being I, brutally honest with me really yeah. what what is that <laughs> yeah. what is this radical honesty and eloquent communication style <laughs> i'm on high alert right now i'm like searching for clues as to why this can't possibly be happening and what's the trick what's the catch like what do you want you know uh so yeah that's my experience with that yeah, I can absolutely relate to that for sure. It, and especially I, I was almost waiting for you to bring up the nervous system part of it because that's that's the biggest part. That's what I, I work with people around. Um, part of what I work with people around is kind of how to learn to listen to that. And even things like uh, like butterflies in the stomach. We Hollywood has taught us that that's what we want. That's yeah. not actually necessarily a good thing. <laughs> if you get like the butterflies every time you're around somebody, it's kind of like, ooh, there might be some deeper things there that you may need to examine before right. you get in too deep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or that or that the lack of butterflies is a bad sign. Right. Exactly. On the opposite right. side of that, for sure. Yeah. And when when we're getting into any of these types of situations, how do we sort of start to unpack some of the emotional shit that we bury so deep under the surface? And obviously there's different there's all kinds of different modalities and, and there's somatic therapy, there's talk therapy, there's, you know, all these, all the energy work. There's so many different things that we can do, but ultimately what do you feel like it comes down to, to really start to, to bring some of this to the surface? Yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big question. I think, and, and I'm still learning this myself. Like I'm, I am, I have room for improvement, for example, when it comes to being vulnerable in front of my partner. Like I could write something on the internet and like make us a, a poetry video about some very tender place inside, throw it online for tens of thousands of people. And like, I'm cool. Like, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Sometimes it actually even feels easier for me too. I'm like, can so you screen an Instagram post? Like, hundred <laughs> percent. But, but because like what I've learned is, is because as a, as a writer or creator, I know that every word is exactly how I want it to be. So I'm still in control. I know exactly what that sentence is designed to do. I know exactly what that word is de designed to invoke. Like I know the feeling I'm creating. I know the like point one and the supportive point below it. And I know the argument and like I've had time to craft it all. And I feel still in control of the experience whereby if I'm sitting on a couch, hypothetically a week ago, and <laughs> hypothetically a loving woman is staring at me, uh, <laughs> I, my, my normal kind of patterns and behaviors start to put up walls and I close down and I block off. And I mean, I still do that. And so I think, to, to go back to your question, I think the point of therapy or coaching or all of those modalities that you mentioned, a lot of it is simply about trying to understand who you are deep down. As I said earlier, like, why am I the way that I am? Like, what's going on inside of me right now? And why, what's the story I'm telling myself? Like, is there evidence for that? You know? what's going on and how can I express that? Um, what's the, what's the fear beneath the fear? Like David White has this great line about David White's this poet who's a genius. He says something like, don't worry about, I'm going to completely botch this, but, it, <laughs> but he's essentially saying, worry, don't worry about the fear, worry about the thing that gave birth to the fear like the very thing that gave birth to the nightmare, right? So it's, it's not the fear that is the, the thing to be concerned about or to pay attention to as much as it is the story that gave birth to the monster or the nightmare. Oof. Like, where did this fear come from? Like, what's actually the step before that? And so for me, when it comes to that relationship example, it's like, I'm scared that you're going to leave. I'm scared that I'm, I'm going to be deemed bad, unworthy, not good enough, not lovable, and you're gonna leave when I show you my most tender places, right? And so I think when you talk about doing the work or exploring the shadow or 
seeing a therapist. A, a lot of it is, is about peeling back those layers, poking around in the, in the substratum of your soul, exploring like the boxes in the basement of your body, like all that stuff. Like where are the cobwebs? What does it mean? Um, sorry, there's a, a gardener has decided now oh, is no, a good fine. time to, to blow the leaves outside <laughs> the window. Oh, worry, you're all good. As they always do when as you they record a podcast. Um, but yeah, so I think it's that, is, is just kind of diving in, getting curious with grace and acceptance and tenderness. Being like, huh, okay, like I, I do this thing. I feel this thing. I, when this happens, I do this. That's interesting. Why do I do that? What, what is a different way to approach this? Like, what do I need right now? And so that's kind of how I have approached it over the last several years of, of trying, to, trying to understand all of that stuff. And a big help and annoyance at times is like having a partner that takes no shit and in the most loving, kind, honest, accepting way has their hand around me to like, you're okay, you're good. And also like kind of metaphorically the other hand grabbing my shirt and like pulling me forward or perhaps a better way to describe it is like offering it out into the space in front of me and being like, let's go forward together. If you'd like to walk, like I'm here with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question at all? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely did. I, I feel like ultimately a lot of it comes down to curiosity like both about the person that we're engaging with and with ourselves and getting really curious about those fears. And, uh, you know, like you, you said, you know, kind of the nightmare and, and the story that we've created that has created the fear as well. And, and I also really love that you brought up the control piece there because it's, it's so much easier to just write something or to, script something or to speak it on a podcast and then if you want to you can edit it or not release it or whatever but then when there's somebody on the other side that you can't control how they are going to react what they're going to say to you um how how are you how are you going to handle that you can't control those aspects of it and then that is exactly when it gets scary because you can't sit there with a script and try and predict what they're going to say in response and then you have your carefully crafted response to how they engage with you and that that's not how it works <laughs> and it does get really scary very quickly <laughs> yeah yeah and i think a big part of that is learning to learning to be okay with what happens on the outside and like having the strength or the sovereignty internally and know that you're going to be okay and that you have your back no matter what happens externally no matter the feedback like if my girlfriend left, like deep down, I know that I would be okay. Mm -hmm. And I forget that sometimes. Like I've been heartbroken before. I've been left behind before and I'm still here, right? And I healed and I recovered and my life continued. But I tend to forget that part of the story. I tend to stop at the part of the story in which I was devastated for months and you know was in this bottomless pit of despair and that I drank too much and I rented a cottage at rock bottom like I tend to remember that part of the story rather than the the whole story with the with the ending the happy ending which is where I am now right I like my life and I'm I'm better and I've learned a lot etc um and I just googled that David White quote and I'm going to read it now because it 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 deserves <laughs> an accurate description. Okay, so David White said, it is not the thing you fear that you must deal with. It is the mother of the thing you fear, the very thing that has given birth to the nightmare. Oh, that's so good. So that's the line I was trying to say earlier. I'll definitely reference that in the show notes too so that people can, can check that out and repost it if they want. That's, yeah, that's so well yeah. done. It just, it sums it up perfectly. And also, I really enjoy how you phrase that around renting a cottage at rock bottom. Oh, yeah. I had a timeshare. Timeshare down there. Like, got Been to know the too. locals. Yeah. Yep. They, they voted me mayor. Like, I planted a garden. Like, yeah. Well, get comfortable there, right? Uh, like, that's another example of, like, getting comfortable in in the dark, in the despair, in the the shame, potentially, um, in, in, in the pain. Like we can get really comfortable in the pain and then, 
anything outside of that feels overwhelming. And then that's when we kind of were like, okay, well, what this, this must just be temporary. Like what, and I mean, ultimately it can be argued that any emotion is temporary, of course, but it just, we, we can really set up camp in, in the, the part of pain and then just decide to stick around and stay there for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we joke about it and, and like deservedly so, but I think at a certain point in my own journey, I realized that I was kind of overstaying my welcome at rock bottom. Yeah. Right. I was kind of milking it or, um, like, yeah, I, I joke, like I had a cottage and I planted, you know, shrubs and I was <laughs> voted mayor of rock bottom and like, yeah. And, and like another way to say that, I suppose, was that staying too long at rock bottom, um, like Connor Oberst has this line where he says like, so now sorrow is pleasure when you want it instead. And I think what I take away from that idea and what I'm trying to communicate here is that the the darkness can be beneficial if we use it in a way that gets us attention, love, et cetera, right? And so if I'm like the sad guy that's going through the breakup that got cheated on and all of my friends come out of the woodwork and care for me and call me and love me and talk to me and take me places and really, <clears throat> you know, give me support, then I think it is possible to persist in that darkness at the expense of my own light, let's call it. Um, and I hope I'm communicating this clearly. This is, not, this is not to say like, bypass your sadness, don't feel the things, uh, just light and love and bluebirds and rainbows and like whatever. What I'm trying to, to convey is that there's a certain, there's a difference in the intention between actually grieving and actually hitting a rock bottom and actually feeling a sadness <clears throat> and, and feeling it and processing it and learning from it and healing from it and moving on. There's a difference between that and also just not doing the work required to move past that place and to continue to have those dark and stormy periods as a benchmark for who you are and to keep those events as a core part of your story long after those things have run its course, <clears throat> right? And so like, even I'm conscious of this in my own life. So I mentioned earlier, like my mom was an alcoholic and I, I have this <clears throat> vast number of experiences from it. And at the same time, I'm also conscious that that was a long time ago. And I keep bringing that up as an example because I think it's a really profound example and it, it was a powerful time in my life. And at the same time, every time I bring it up, I'm like, oh yeah, my mom was an alcoholic. But like my mom is now almost nine years sober. Like that was a decade ago or more that all this was happening. And so recently I've been thinking about that myself. Like, you know, does it serve me to talk about this stuff anymore? Like, is that actually part of my story now? Or am I actually trying to just stay down there so people say, oh man, like talk to us more about that. Like, has it, has it, run, it run its course, right? It, it, is, it, is it useful still? Is it in my highest, is it in my highest self or my highest capacity to continue to talk about things from the past? Like, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's an interesting one to consider. I've had, <clears throat> I've had the same question about, uh, I, like I was telling you a little bit about my story before we jumped on and I've, I've had the same thought about my own story where I'm like, does it still serve me? I mean, you know, right now maybe um, when it's, it's only been like two and a half ish years, but I'm like, at some point, I feel like I'm going to hit a point where sometimes I, I, I get like tired of talking about it, but people want to know more. So I'm like, okay, I'll talk about it. It doesn't bother me, but I, I have moments where I'm like, is this, necessary there have been times also where i think it was almost me reliving portions of it too um where it wasn't necessarily useful or helpful for me at some points it's it's an interesting one to unpack and then actually that because we've also woven a lot into this in terms of um you know unpacking pain and and living in in the darkness kind of in, in all of those things you mentioned something before we jumped on that i really 
loved about how just because somebody is in therapy does not mean that they're good for you. Or just because somebody is a therapist does not mean that they're good for you. And I love that, especially because there's a lot of memes floating around (laughs) on Instagram (laughs) where it's like, you know, talking about, oh, you're dating somebody new. And it's, it's like on the first date, if they're willing to unpack childhood trauma, or if they show you their therapist receipts, it's like, oh, green flag. Like if we're going to talk about the red flag, green flag. So I would love for you to (laughs) talk a little bit more about that, because I think that is a reminder that many people might need to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm currently like writing an Instagram post about that idea that just what you've described is, is almost like, oh, you've been to therapy? Then in my mind and in, in, on Instagram, then I must associate that with you being a fully aware, enlightened being who will do me no wrong, who is fully compatible with me. <laughs> and like, that, that's not the case. It just means that they've gone to talk to a therapist. Like they, they've maybe spent an hour or two talking about some stuff. It doesn't mean that they are uh, an available partner. It doesn't mean that that they're good for you. It doesn't mean that they're even a good friend. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that this is a person who's gone to talk to another person for a couple of hours about some stuff that bothers them. Um, and so like, I guess the other part of that post that I'm considering is like, just because somebody is sober doesn't mean they're good for you. Just because somebody is educated doesn't mean they're good for you. Like just because they <clears throat> are rich doesn't mean they're good for you. Um, just because they're your family doesn't mean they're good for you, right? And so I guess I'm taking aim at the the sweeping generalizations that an expression or an attribute or a character trait can provide, right? And it seems like now in our in our world, at least in the personal development space, there is some of that of like the, uh, like just because somebody has a PhD doesn't mean they're good. For, like I have a PhD. Like doesn't doesn't mean I'm good for anybody. Like it just means I've, <laughs> I'm a persistent, stubborn dog of a man that like didn't quit his PhD. Like, um, yeah. And so like the idea that, you know, if you meet somebody to not necessarily put them on a pedestal, but to evaluate the entire suite of character traits and attributes that make a person a person and not just like dive all in because of one or two certain things. Yeah. I think that's always a powerful reminder. And, and it's also sort of an indication of how quickly we can fall into labels or labeling, like kind of categories or things like that, because it's very human. We, we want to put a label on everything. We want everything to have a place yeah. and to, to be able to do that. And if it's like, okay, you're either in the not thera- therapized is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> category or you are. And if you are, you must be a good fit. And yes, I have been in the situations where the people have gone to the therapy and I'm like, yeah, it's, it doesn't necessarily make you any more emotionally available or anything like that. And just like I've had lots of therapy doesn't mean I'm good for anybody either. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I've met some therapists where I'm, I was shocked by their lack of self-awareness. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's interesting. And I've met a lot of PhD scientists who could barely hold a conversation and I'm probably one of those people. Like I, I work as a life coach and I've some, made some terrible decisions. I've, I've said some, uh, some outrageous things uh, where, you, where people would no doubt be like, you're a life coach, really? And like my girlfriend looks at me all the time and is like, hmm, that's my boyfriend. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no. It's, and so I think, yeah, that humility and also the, the permission, I suppose, to trust that intuitive hit whereby if you meet a sober therapist who's rich and is a New York Times bestseller but they're somewhat they give you the wrong vibes or that they say something inappropriate then I think we need to collectively as a culture and as a society normalize the removal of pedestals entirely it's like they're humans you are human um so I just I think that's important um, both to like perpetuate our own growth, but also to, to reinforce the remembrance that we're all just human beings. Like we're all special, but also kind of not, you know, like we all used to poop our pants and we all used to live inside of a woman and like, we're all going to die. Like, um, yeah. 
It's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I love that you're mentioning this because it sort of brings it full circle to the removing people from pedestals, but not engaging in cancel culture and just bringing more forgiveness, compassion, kindness, empathy to all of these conversations and, and engagements that we're having with individuals. Yeah. Like the nuances matter, I suppose. Yeah. And I think collectively, if we can initiate a little bit more grace, humility, but also at the same time, without sacrificing personal responsibility, integrity, justice, then I think we're going to be walking a more healing, welcoming path. And the radical honesty, like all of those. Oh yeah. 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 There's, I mean, honesty is a pretty good deal. Yeah. I would throw that in there as well. For sure. For sure. Just, just a small piece of the puzzle. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Jeremy, this has been amazing. Is there anything else that, um, that you're kind of like fired up about a little bit? I know you and I kind of talked about rest before jumping on. And I, I, I feel like that's maybe worth touching on just because I, I know in your case, you, you mentioned that like you've moved and stuff. So you've had a lot of like actual things going on, but I think it's I feel like that's always an important part of the conversation, especially right now when a lot of people really run down from yeah. not only the, the busyness of, of what it means to live in the age of the internet and all of the things, but also just navigating a pandemic. And like, especially here in Canada, we've had, what, what are we on? 15 months straight of lockdown, essentially. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, it's been exhausting mentally. And then that kind of translates to uh, physical need for rest I think too where that we often don't grant ourselves permission to have yeah I remember when I first started writing online and I was following somebody and they shared uh, a movie that they had watched recently that they loved and my and I remember that my initial reaction was something like what do you mean like you have time to watch a movie like because I was very much immersing myself in that like grind grind hustle hustle sleep when you're dead, I'll be the hardest worker in the room mentality. And I remember having that initial judgment and then being surprised by it. And then um, read this book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. And the last one is Sharpen the Saw. And the idea is that <clears throat> there's like a famous Abraham Lincoln quote of, like if you had, if I had an hour to saw down a tree I would spend 45 minutes sharpening the saw, right? So you're actually preparing yourself for the activity rather than doing an hour of manual labor with a dull blade, you achieve the same amount, <clears throat> but you're working a quarter of the time, right? Yeah. And so for me, that's kind of the shift that I've made is that rest is fuel, that rest is self-care, rest is a crucial part of productivity, that sleep, is something that I've radically changed my opinion on over the last several years. Now I have like an app on my phone. It tracks my sleep. Like I slept till 10 AM the other day and just like, nah, sleep is vital. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's an important piece to that rest. And, and as you said, I've just moved to a new place and I've realized that there's so much of a, there's so much newness that it's overwhelming. Right. So I, I don't know where things are. Like even in my own house, I don't know where the spatula is or where the pots and pans are. So everything's new and everything requires awareness and attention. And I'm driving places and I'm noticing new things. And it's, it's like the immersive experience when you go traveling and it's so exciting. And it's like, wow, look, at there's so much of this and that. But then also it's, it's tiring, right? Like at the end of the day, when you're traveling or moving, it's, it's exhausting. And so I'm trying to be more conscious of the energetic experience that I have in my body and in my brain and recognizing the impacts that low energy has on my work, on my health, on my relationships. Like, I, I, like if I'm tired, like um, Elaine de Bouton says to treat your partner as if they were a three-year-old and be like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? <laughs> Do you need a nap? How did you sleep last night? Do you have to poop? Like at those fundamental levels to just check in with yourself like the basic needs and being rested is is like a hack you know like are you getting enough sleep like when i work with people it's like are you getting enough sleep what are you eating 
right? Like, how's your gut health? Uh, these kind of things. So it's like a mm, foundational paradigm upon which to build your entire life is rest. Yeah. Yeah. So get more, get more rest, normalize naps. I love this. I love this. And this, it's so funny. Cause this is how I work with people too, is like, I go into like the holistic part of it because it's so crucial. And I'm laughing at the treat your partner, like they're three to do, because there's been, there's been research and stuff going. Like if you, if you engage with someone, whether it's your partner or somebody else and they're hungry, yeah. things can very easily go downhill rapidly in terms of communication yeah. compared to if they're well-fed, the communication is going to go a lot better. <laughs> yeah. They actually did this really interesting research. I think it was highlighted in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books where they analyzed the sentences that judges gave to criminals before lunch and after lunch. I think I read this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was mind blowing. <laughs> wild. And so eliminating the, the various variables and correlations, they found that if you were a criminal who was sentenced immediately before lunch and your judge was like very hungry, your sentence was significantly longer for the crime versus if you were sentenced by that judge immediately after lunch when they're full and satiated and probably content. And like, that's a very subtle subconscious way that our lack of basic needs can express itself. Yeah. has real world implications is the point. Seriously real world implications. Like that, that's actually like devastating implications potentially yeah. in that particular instance. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's insane. Mm. Oh, yeah. well, this has just been amazing, Jeremy. How can we let us know how we can find you? And most importantly, how can we support you? Um, you can find me on the internet at longdistancelovebombs.com. That's the name of my biz. Uh, I'm on Instagram at long distance love bombs. I have a podcast. If you've made it this far and you're not tired of my voice, uh, <laughs> I also have a podcast called the long distance love bombs podcast. that has 120 episodes with all kinds of thought leaders and coaches and therapists and New York times bestsellers and all kinds of cool people. And um, yeah, I've got a book called it'll be okay. And you will be too that you can buy um, through my publisher thought catalog but Instagram is the main, the main place where I play and uh, supporting me. If you want to buy me a burrito one day, when you see me in public, that would be appreciated. Uh, yeah. Oh, I also, I have a couple online courses. Uh, one is called get shit down 101, which is all about starting heart centered habits and rituals to like avoid procrastination, distraction, etc., and get your stuff done. And then I did a collaborative program with Traver Boom, who you, mentioned previously called do hard shit. And we talk about having hard conversations, enforcing your boundaries, being vulnerable. And both of those are available online self-study really good. Like I'm biased, but like <laughs> we did a good job on all of those. Like the, the courses are good. I'm proud of them. And, um, and the feedback has been wonderful too. Listen, I have absolutely no doubt, like each of you individually, I think are awesome. So the two of you, anytime you guys join forces, I can only imagine the, the magic that happens. So yeah. yes, yeah, so we can highly recommend that for sure. And just one more um, quick question. If you could give people, I usually just wrap up with this one. If you could give people just one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Well, I said it earlier, but love yourself enough that you're okay disappointing other people. Yeah. I think that's a Pri powerful way to prioritize yourself yeah. is the simpler version. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Jeremy, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been an honor. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. It means the absolute world to me and I'm so grateful. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me over on Instagram at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you.